Welcome back. We've got another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation in our denomination. But we recognize that whenever Reformation happens, things get messy. So we're taking time to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to talk about what's happening in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. I also want to keep saying thanks to all of you who are listening faithfully to this podcast, who are sharing it with friends, and also to those of you who've given us words of encouragement over the past few weeks. It means a lot. We've gotten words of encouragement from people throughout the United States and Canada letting us know how much this podcast has been benefiting them. And I just want to say thank you. It means a lot. And I want to keep encouraging everyone, keep sharing it with your friends, because word of mouth is the best way to get the word out. So talk about it and help get these conversations to spread throughout the Christian Reformed Church. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. We are dropping episodes every Monday. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's show, which is part two of our conversation with Trevor Mao. I was actually one of those teenagers that grew up in the CRC, or at least went to high school in the CRC and graduated knowing the Bible stories, but knowing nothing about our theology. And so I graduated um, being thinking that believer's baptism was the only way. I, I was a functioning Arminian. I, I didn't understand any of our doctrines. And so I had to wrestle through them um, over the years to kind of come to a position. But because I wrestled through them, now I, I feel really, I stand firm where I'm at mm-hmm. and, and I, and I remember the scriptures and, and how to, how to put the argument together. So. Yep. Yeah. I see that with my students, you know, what things such what we might consider as basic as baptism, as, you know, tulip reformed soteriology, you know, they, they come in with a lot of questions and, and not a lot of clarity um, at this high school age. And so, um, yeah, I don't, you know, in some ways that's concerning in some way that's, that might be more normal, but um, that, that's absolutely what I've seen as well. And why it's, yeah. well, it's important. And I'll even bring that broader. Um, now that I've been not in youth ministry and ministering to adults, um, there's a lot of adults that have no mm. idea why we baptize babies, mm. but mm-hmm. other than, well, this is just what we've always done. Right. Um, and I've, I've had adults, um, that I've talked to who have just been honest enough and say, yeah, I really don't know why we do this. I just, we do it because I guess this is what we do. And I thought, boy, that's sad. And and I think right. that's part of the struggle we're having as a denomination right now, as we get into some of the hot topics going on in the CRC, um, I'll talk to people in the, who are in the people like, yeah, I know that homosexual practice is wrong, and I kind of know some of the the passages, but I don't really fully understand why it's wrong. And when people start arguing with me about it, I don't quite know how to answer. You know, and so right, absolutely, you get these. We've got this. Sorry, you get these you know, revisionists who are you know coming in and telling our our CRC people right that uh, that you know Romans one doesn't actually mean homosexuality right and, and all these just you know things that that the regular people like oh 
you know, well, he should know better than I, you know, he is taught is using Greek words and that stuff like that. Uh, and so, yeah. you know, so maybe, maybe they're right. You know, maybe there's something too, right. Because all they got to do is get to this, this position of ambiguity, right. This, this, this position where, yeah. Okay. I could, there might be a case, two cases here, right. Maybe we should let them both exist side by side. Uh, and you know, that's all they need to get to. They just need to, um, you know, to get to that position. Yeah. Well, and I, uh, this has been an issue for a while. Um, and I know the, the women in office thing is kind of a, we won't speak about such things in, in the CRC anymore. It's not a fight we're having, but. But we will um, on this podcast. Well, <laughs> sure. But, but I just, I remember, you know, when it got broken down to, okay, each, each classes will decide this individually. Each congregation will have to decide this individually. Um, when my previous church was having the conversation the overwhelming argument to just adopt it was people smarter than us are saying that Mm -hmm. this is okay. Mm -hmm. That was, there was no biblical argument being laid out in the congregational meeting. It was people who are much smarter than us, know the Bible much better than us are saying that we can do this. So we should just listen to them. And I remember walking away from that congregational meeting going, what happened to the Reformation? I feel like I'm in the Catholic Church again, back in the in the 1500s. <laughs> spoken. Where they're saying, you guys aren't quite smart enough to understand God's word on your own. So just listen to all of the smart, educated people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, they were lying, right? Like, or that wasn't true. Yeah. Uh, it's just that, you know, the those who had the the biblical stance. Uh, on women in office, you know, they were being disregarded, uh, or they weren't, you know, they didn't realize the work that they had to put in. And, yeah. and at least this time, I think more people are realizing the work that they have to put in, you know, on the traditional side, um, you know, on the biblical side, uh, which, which is helpful, you know, which is good. It, it's different than, than the last time. Um, you know, I, I certainly hold to the conviction of male only eldership, um, but but I do think that there's there's some key differences right between yeah. women in office and homosexuality. Um, the the those who are for women in office are you know are working their hardest. God bless them to use the Bible right to make a biblical case, um, and that's simply not possible in this case. Right, all you have is revisionism and does the Bible really say you know did God really say that uh, and you know, just, they're just trying to create enough uncertainty, right? It's the reason that, you know, you have people like Henry DeMoor who are going after the Heidelberg catechism and the definition of unchaste, right? Because, because it's a, you know, it's a smokescreen, right? If we attack the Heidelberg catechism, then no one will see that we're completely ignoring the Bible, which is so clear. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's one of those tactics. And, I, you know, personally believe the Heidelberg Catechism itself is extremely clear, um, and it's silly to, you know, to make a comment like, uh, "Well, you know, our denomination has never given a definition of unchastity, and therefore, you know, we can't use that as, you know, as a term." Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. It it makes us sound like the Heidelberg Catechism is what our church is based off of rather than the Bible is what our church is based off of. Amen. 
Yeah, that's the that's been the big frustration with uh, many of the conservatives I talked to in this conversation. Right, the the repeated argument coming from all of our church polity leaders mm-hmm. is that well, um, synod hasn't made us. The synod's decision was only pastoral yeah. advice. Yeah, we don't really have to, you know. There's there's room for disagreement on there, and and then they go, well, our confessions, which has more authority than synodical decisions, the confessions, they're not quite clear on this either. But they never address scripture, which our church mm-hmm. order says scripture has more authority than synodical decisions than our confessions, and synod throughout the years has repeatedly said that that homosexual practice is a sin. Yeah. Repeatedly. Repeatedly. And I'm, I'm in the process of writing something on this because I just think we need to get some more clarity because you're right. There's all of these smoke screens going on and the pastoral advice and all of that. And it's all, Mm -hmm. it's all wonky. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, the, the original mandate of the, the 1973 report, Um, that was put together on homosexuality, the mandate to that committee was to determine the position of the Christian Reformed Church on this issue. Yeah, right. It's in our, I looked it up today, right? It's in our positional website on the positional, you know, where, you know, our positional stances or whatever. Um, So it's, it's there. Like if, if somebody is studying the CRC, that's, you know, a position of the CRC, what 73 has declared, right? It's not, the pastoral advice section of the CRC's website. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, there's, it's tough because there is like, I've, I've, I've heard Kathy Smith's argument on this and, and how um, it is, you know, in sin, in the acts of synod, it is adopted as um, pastoral advice to the churches. And then, um, but the, I, I really think that that meant something different. So then that was in 1973, but then in 1975, there was a committee put together to determine what is pastoral advice. Right. And so what, what authority does synodical decisions mean? And then they kind of defined what pastoral advice is. And it, I, it seems like they redefined what was redefined pastoral advice in 1975 from what it was attended to be in 1973. And uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, there's a lot of politicking right. um, that's going on. And that's, uh, that's where I start to get really frustrated because we start arguing, like you were saying, when politicking happens, we start arguing based on church order and all of this. Mm-hmm. And we kind of say, well, yeah, who cares what scripture says? And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> scripture is our authority. Like, if scripture, we've said scripture's clear on this, the church order stuff needs to be very secondary absolutely. to this, um, to this issue. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. Yeah. So what, uh, um, do you have, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about teenagers we talked about some of this stuff, uh, um, going on in the Christian reformed church. So what, what, what advice do you have then for, for people in um, bringing about reformation in the CRC, right? I, I, you're in the CRC. 
I usually ask people, do you think the CRC is worth saving? So I guess I should ask you that question first. Um, do you think the CRC is worth saving? Yeah, absolutely. I think the CRC is worth saving, right? Um, you know, many people have asked me why I haven't already left for the URC, uh, and I don't always have a, a good answer for them. Um, but, you know, but I love the CRC, and that, you know, that's the best that I can do, but, you know, um, I love the tradition and the history of the CRC. I, you know, love such key figures like, you know, Bavink, um, like, you know, Ventil, some of those, those older ones. Um, and, and the CRC is worth saving in part because I think of all those churches and I think of all the young people inside them, right? And, you know, they, they need to have their, their churches undergo reformation, right? they need it because we, we need them to, to be biblical, right? We, we want them to get the, the truth of the Bible. And so, you know, the CRC is worth saving because it's filled with, with young people and children who, you know, who are being some, you know, in the worst case led astray, right. In, in, well, in best cases, there's, there are a lot of awesome CRC churches, right? There are a lot of CRC churches that are, are fully biblical, you know, even a lot who, you know, who I might disagree with because they allow women in office, right? But, but even, you know, a lot of them are, are standing firm on here and, and being biblical um, and have a lot of Christ-loving people within them. Um, you know, this, the strength of the CRC is, there's, you know, there's a lot of strength. Um, I wrote down some of them, you know, in anticipation of that question. Christian education is a huge strength of the CRC. Um, financially healthy churches, you know, so many denominations, you know, can't support their own pastor. Uh, and, you know, we just have such giving congregations that, that support their pastor. You know, now they're starting to get talk about, you know, um, bivocational pastors and stuff, which, um, you know, is, you you understand it's a little bit disappointing, but you, you yeah. get it. It's, you know, but for so many CRC churches, right. They go out of their way to, to support the church, support the pastors. You know, there's a, this emphasis on outreach and, and missions. Um, you know, the, the Christian reform church is full of people who love Jesus and who want to love others. Right. Right. The problem is that they've entirely adopted the, the secular culture's definition of love which is the problem, right? So when, you know, when they read love your neighbor as yourself or, you know, love God, love people. And, um, you know, the greatest commandment is that you love one another. Uh, that's awesome. But they, they are misreading it in that they've already come with a predetermined definition of love, which isn't the biblical definition of love. Right. And so now, and so now they are, you know, with good intentions often, um, being unbiblical because they aren't letting the, the Bible give us the definition of love. Um, and so, you know, that, that's the fight, right? We, to be biblical means that, you know, that everything is biblical. Our, our definition of love is biblical, right? What's the standard? That's the question that I ask to my seniors in the defending faith class all the time, right? Um, what's the standard? You know, what is the standard that determines whether something is loving or whether something is not loving, right? What's the standard of whether something is true or not true? Um, 
you know, and because when you, when you get to that, you start to, you know, you start to see that everything on a lesser standard, or if you can even call it a standard, right, will, will disintegrate, right, will fall apart, um, because it's not uh, God himself as the standard, right, and so when it comes to what's the standard of love, you know, we have to, we have to look at the Bible, and we have to let that speak to us, Uh, what's the standard of marriage, right, we have to go to what Jesus says about marriage, when he goes back to creation, right, and Jesus himself tells us that, you know, that it's intended for man and women to leave their parents and to be united in, in marriage. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, in, in so many people pushing love, right. And well, it's just love. And so you can't, you can't be mad at it. They're, they're completely going the opposite of what Jesus has to say on the subject. Um, you know, while priding themselves on being Jesus, like, um, you know, it's, it's insane uh, and, and, and sad. <laughs> um, yeah. The CRC is worth saving, and, and uh, I think we need to fight hard for it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I, I think you're right on the money where we always, any church or anybody, starts going off the rails when we don't allow Scripture to define our terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and defining love is a huge one. Mm-hmm. And in uh, a lot of, a lot of conversations out there, I remember, um, I had a friend who had openly embraced, um, open theism and had been reading a lot of Greg Boyd. Mm-hmm. And so I started reading Greg Boyd's work. And I think the core issue with his understanding of God is again, it's actually a misdefinition of love. Um, Cause he says in order for love to be love, it has to be free and ch- freely right. chosen all of that right. kind of stuff. And if God, and, uh, and right. uh, as Willie pointed out, um, Ephesians one in love, he predestined us. Yeah. Okay. Greg Boyd, you're wrong. And so, <laughs> cause the scripture defines love differently than you just defined it. And so your argument, we're throwing that out. Right. Yeah. And, and if you, if your definition of love um, like you said, is contrary to what Jesus defined love as, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And and on on the other hand, too, if your definition of love prevents you from acting the way Jesus acted, which was calling people at times whitewashed tombs, a pit of vipers, mm-hmm. children of the devil, yeah. um, then your definition of love is wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And so you don't need to, I mean, I always, I, I hate that I feel like I have to clarify myself and say, well, you don't have to be a jerk, but it's not about being a jerk, but it's this mixture of truth and grace, mm-hmm. speaking mm-hmm. the truth and love. And, uh, and that love means speaking the truth. We, we have to be able to call people out um, over time because Jesus did it very clearly. Jesus did not mince words when it came to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and all of that. He, uh, he really was harsh with yeah. people. That, that makes me think of, of one last criticism that I uh, had written down and want to get in. But um, you know, one of my concerns about, about the CRC is this, this misuse and abuse of the concept of common grace, right? And this, this ignoring, um, right? It, it's really a misuse of, of Kuiper himself, right? To, 
to what they do is they amplify common grace and diminish the antithesis by so so much, right? And so now you know you have these these problems, uh, and you you talk about secular culture and an evil world, um, and you know we'll say, well, you know, look at Genesis and the intention, and it was God created a good and common. We believe in common grace, and therefore you know they're not really bad, um, or you know maybe we can change the Bible and learn because of. Uh, common grace and general revelation, you know, and this, this, yeah, this misuse of, of the term. Uh, and so then they neglect, you know, like here, here again, right. Not looking at how Jesus himself interacts with people because the terms that you use is what made me think of this, right. Calling, you know, people, children of the devil, sons of the devil, uh, of pit, a brood of vipers, right. Not realizing this, this antithesis, this difference that Jesus sets out between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, right? You know, where I'm from is very neo-Kyperian, you know, in this area with our college here and um, all this talk about renewing, renewing the culture and, and transforming, you know, through with our Christianity and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's, there's absolutely levels of truth to that, but with all the, for all the kingdom talk, you know, there's this, this complete ignoring of the antithesis uh, that, you know, what makes the kingdom of God that Jesus brought so different, you know, because otherwise it was there the whole time, you know, people just weren't treating it right or something like that. Um, but that's not how Jesus viewed it, right? Jesus viewed the kingdom coming with him when he came, you know, and, and starting this, you know, this new thing, which is the church, right? There is, there's a huge difference between the Christian and the non-believer. You know, there's a huge difference between the church and culture, um, and, so, and you know we need to we need to see that again. Amen. I agree a hundred percent that that's one of my big frustrations when people try to quote Kuiper on mm -hmm. common grace and all of that. All truth is God's truth, and I mean obviously, yeah, mm -hmm. all truth is God's truth. But but then they completely ignore the antithesis part of it yeah. and uh and they well we don't like that part of kuiper it's like yeah. well they're they're but that's intimately that's connected. exactly he didn't he didn't pull them apart and we shouldn't either oh neither did bovink oh yeah no. um man you read read bovink his first uh his first book of his dogmatics and he pulls no punches yeah it's the only one i've read yet <laughs> the first yeah, book it's all the way through working it's towards good the second one yeah, I'm I'm partway through the third one right now. He he's just gold. He's gold. Oh, but love but yeah, you read his first you read his first uh book of the dogmatics, and it's very clear that you know Van Till wasn't the first presuppositionalist, right? Amen. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, we could have a whole podcast just on this <laughs> idea here. Uh, Cornelius Van Til, based in Bavink, right? Who is based in in Calvin. Uh, yeah. Oh man, yeah. don't even get me started. We could yeah, I know. another hour. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have got into this sooner. And then uh, here, I'll throw this one out there for you and our podcast listeners to, to think about, oh, now I just lost it. I think it's John, John chapter eight or John chapter nine. Um, read through that, read how Jesus is interacting with people and just notice how presuppositional even Jesus is. And oh, so I, I just say, we just, we're, we're presuppositional apologetics is, uh, is very much how, how Jesus functioned yeah. as well. Yeah. Listeners, Powerful. it's a difficult read, but listeners need to go and get Van Til's The Defense of the Faith uh, oh. and, you know, spend, 
spend 30 minutes on, on each page maybe, but go through it. And uh, it, it's amazing. It's so good. It's worth putting the time and effort in. I've, I've told people when I started reading Calvin's Institutes, oh, yeah. I literally it had my off the page. I had my phone in one hand, though, so I could look up all the words that I didn't understand <laughs> because I had the beverage edition. Oh, you, no, so was, you can't read beverage. So I'm like, hard. what does sucker mean? Like it's, succour, you know, I'm like, I don't know what that means. And so and, worth it to get the battles, McNeely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I, I went through it all, um, but it was worth every mm-hmm. all the effort I put in to understand it and to read it. And it's uh, it's good. It's so yeah. Good. Amen. Well, before we get too sidetracked, I do want to ask, um, what what steps do you think we need to be taking then as a denomination, as pastors, as teachers, uh, um, as parents um, to start bringing about reformation in the CRC? And it, it can be long term reformation or even short term reformation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both short and long term is, you know, is pastors need to be preaching this from the pulpit. Um, our pastor, uh, Pastor Bob, has just started a, a sermon, a, a series on, you know, focusing on human sexuality, right? As he's, you know, he's, um, you know, he's told our, our council, I'm a, I'm a deacon at our church, and he's told council to, uh, you know, to dig into this human sexuality report and start thinking about it. Uh, and that's what every church needs to do, right? Every church, their council needs to be reading this report um, and, and thinking about it. Um, and then, you know, pastors and Sunday school teachers need to be, you know, be brave enough and willing to, to speak about sexuality and not the whole time, but uh, at, at when needed, right? And now is the time when it's needed. Uh, and so, you know, that's a long-term thing is being brave. Uh, oh, going back to, you know, thinking about the youth, right? Parents need to be brave, right? Parents need to step up and they need to talk with their kids. They need to have the conversations. I would strongly encourage, I, speaking of reformations, I would love to see a reformation of family worship uh, where going through the, the Bible and, and singing and praying every single night with your kids. Um, you know, my kids are, are still pretty young and so it hasn't blossomed into a lot of conversations yet, but we do do it every, every night. Um, but you know, that's where, that's where the, the comfort and the, you know, the Bible talks about like sex all the time. Right. And so it's, it's going to come up, uh, and it's going to force you to have opportunities to speak to your children about huge issues. Right. Um, so, you know, some people might think it's just a old, Dutch Reformed Presbyterian relic of, of a bygone time, but um, I would love to see family worship because that that gives you the space to to teach your kids, um, and 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 that'd be huge. So that's a long term, um, and it doesn't need to be hard either. Uh, it you know it can just be read read some um, passages, ask them if they have any questions, sing a song, and and pray. Um, and maybe some people won't even sing a song because they feel weird doing it with their kids. Um, but, but, uh, and then in the near term, you know, as, as sad as it is, right. As, as much as it feels like placating some of the, the dancing that uh, the affirming crowd are doing. Um, I, I think we have to declare the human sexuality report to be status confessionist, right. We have to yep. go to that level. You know, we can't just say, yeah, it's what we agree with, or we can't even say it's pastoral advice, right? Um, 
even though we think 100% the Bible, the Heidelberg Catechism already say this, we still have to make that clear in synod, right? Yeah. Just because of what they've been doing and what they've been saying. Otherwise, we'd he- we'll hear it for decades to come. Um, and so, you know, even though we think it's redundant and unnecessary, you know, that that's what synod has to do. Amen. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. We need to, yeah, we do feel like it's redundant, like we've already made this, but we need to make it clear. And uh, it, this needs to be a watershed moment on the issue, yeah. I think, where we say this is where we stand and uh, take it or leave it. Yeah. And then um, lastly, the, the hardest thing, right, is to enforce that, right? The hardest thing is to practice church discipline. You know, what the Belgic says is one of the three marks of a true church. We have to, you know, we have to discipline the churches that are installing LGBT office bearers, the the pastors who are, you know, brave enough to to preach LGBT uh, affirmation from the pulpits, right? We have to discipline them to the point of removing them if if it comes to that, you know, if they don't repent. And, you know, God willing, they, they do repent, and but... But we have to be strong enough and, and brave enough and uh, have the, you know, the God-given endurance to, to, to do that, right? You know, in one of the forums on the network or something like that, right, I saw this kind of outraged question of, well, would you kick out pastors who, you know, who don't agree with this human sexuality report? Um, as, if, as if that's a strange thing, right? You know, like, yeah. Yeah. We will. Yeah. Yeah. I find it's, it's so strange for that to be a strange thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what type of organism or organization allows someone to be a part of it that is intentionally undermining mm-hmm. everything. Right. And we've had that that's been going on. I mean, this isn't just new to the CRC. There have been pastors and organizations like all one body Mm-hmm. that have been intentionally undermining the teachings of the Christian Reformed Church for years and years and years. Yeah. And uh, seminarians. And, yeah. yeah. And people keep in trying to bring about discipline and they there's been a refusal to do any discipline. Um, and it's uh, we have to do it or or we're going to fall apart. I, I just. Uh, in going through notes and stuff came across a note from John Calvin who said that like the worst thing that a church can do is allow false teachers to remain in it because they will, these false teachers will eat the church out from within. That's why they made the third mark of the church, the right use of discipline. Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of this status confessional thing and of, you know, church separation or possibly or or people leaving, um, I don't know, doesn't it just feel to you like they think that if we stand firm on on human sexuality, that, you know, it's going to break apart the church, that there's going to be this mass exodus, like completely ignorant to the fact that if things stay the status quo or if this gets punted or if, you know, even oddly, I don't know how it would, if it, you know, if LGBT becomes, you know, affirmed, uh, the, the split is going to be so much bigger, right? Exactly. They, yes. they don't realize that our churches, my church, many churches are, have, are already having these conversations, right? What do we do when this is not status confessionalist, right? What do we do when this gets punted, treated like, 
women in office um, and they will be floored how many churches leave. I agree. I think, I think, I, I know this is how um, the agenda has been pushed over the years is unity, 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 unity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and we need to just stop playing the game because yeah. there is no unity now right. and there won't be unity and there will be people to leave. And if, if we don't adopt this, um, as status confessionis, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, there will be a bigger, the, the CRC will die a hundred percent. There will yep. be, I think yep. the vast majority of our majority. churches, yep. majority. The vast majority, I bet two thirds actually, mm-hmm. um, hold to this as a, as a confessional issue. And, and we, it'll just, the denomination will be done. Right. Yep. And uh, so it'll be, I, and, and I don't even like making that argument necessarily because it's more of a pragmatic argument, you know, like right. and you, you oh, don't want to feel like you're holding him hostage, right? Like, Hey, you know, do what we say, or we're going to leave. Uh, you know, you, you, that's why people aren't saying it out loud to them that much. I feel like, you know, uh, but it, it's the truth. It's, it is the truth that it, it, this is, I, I don't like to be a fear monger either, but I do mm-hmm. think that this next synod, is going to be kind of make or break for the CRC and not only, and other people on the podcast have said, you know, not only this synod, but the next one and the next one and the next one um, as well. I mean, the next few years are going to be hot and heavy, however this shakes out. But, but if we don't handle things rightly at this synod, um, numbers of churches are going to leave. And I, I, you're not the only one who said that I've talked to other ones who say we can even adopt the sexuality report. But if we don't handle Neeland Avenue rightly, mm-hmm. we're done. You know, if we don't, if we refuse to do discipline on this, we're done as well. And so um, we need to, we need to take this all seriously. And there, there's just such this idea that multiple denominations is the worst thing in the world, which, you know, I, I've, we need to get past um, having different denominations can be in everyone's best interest, right? Because it, it means that people aren't worshiping with a bad conscience, right? They aren't worshiping under the, you know, the, the female pastor uh, and feeling like every time they go to church, they're sinning, right? You know, and so everyone who is feeling that way went to the URC church, right? Um, and so denominations aren't the worst thing in the world. If anything, it can, it can create unity as like, you know, okay, here's where we stand here's where you stand. Let's work together in the ways that we can work together. But it's no more pretending that there's this false unity when there isn't. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week when we interview Michael Bentley. But until then, don't forget, this is Christ's church. And he bought this church with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy his flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.